This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kora Mawera. Kora Sam, how's it going? It's going very well indeed. It is an interesting position we all find ourselves in. This thing is happening for real. Yes, it is. It's just going to, it'll just unfold now and um, and we just have to keep ourselves and our communities as safe as possible and do the right thing and yeah but it's a happening thing now everything we've been doing so far has just been practicing yeah (laughs) getting ready for the main event and then it's going to be all over and we get back on with life again it's certainly going to be interesting to see how it plays out i think that while uh, sort of the be kind message and all that was really good over the last two years we're kind of over that, but now's when we need it. Yeah, I reckon so too. It's not there's there's a bit of an absence of kindness in the community right now, but um, but I think that, that we're going to get through it. I think so. And who are we introducing today? It is my absolute pleasure to introduce someone who I've been a long time admirer of, Dr. Will Flevel. He's Kaihotu Māori at Comet Auckland and also a member of the uh, local uh, board for Massey Henderson in Tamaki Makoto. Uh, Will, it is an absolute honour and pleasure to have you on the show. As I said, I've, I've been a, a long time uh, admirer of you and the, and the work that you do, so it's really lovely to have you here today. Welcome. Oh, tēnā kōrua. Thank you for having me. Kia ora, Will. Where are kia you, ora. Will? I live here in West Auckland, so Henderson, West Auckland is where I live. Um, I've been based in West Auckland for the last 10 years, so yeah. So we began the show asking people how their bubble life was, and then that turned into not quite such a bubble life, and then it turned into a bubble life again, and then it turned into a traffic light. And now it's whatever it is now. So how is your bubble traffic light thing going? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting the last two years. So I'll give you a bit of backstory if I can. So at the end of 2019, I had left um, my teaching position. So I was a high school teacher uh, for many years based here in West Auckland. And I, I just started a new job at Comet Auckland, um, which our job is to look at look at issues around where our learners aren't, aren't achieving. So we're a charity uh, based organization and so just when I started this new position um, lockdown came so yeah it's, it's been an interesting struggle over the last two years I suppose. So you weren't directly in the classroom during the lockdowns but were you what, what, what is the role of Comet about directly ad, ad, advising and working with people who are in the classrooms? 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, definitely a bit of that. So uh, my job is to uh, work with uh, schools um, or, or iwi uh, community organisations and to basically look at how we can best support um, our learners. And my, for me, specifically Māori learners, where exactly aren't our, why aren't our Māori learners sort of achieving like, like, like others and to ensure that there is support uh, around that. So yeah, I've been always actively involved in the classroom. And how did, how did well? How did they go? How did you go? Yeah, so I mean, it was very, it was very difficult. Um, and you know, I acknowledge our teachers and our principals, and and our, and our students because um, it was very a difficult challenge for them. Um, you know, you had a lot of students that and teachers who actually didn't know how to teach online. Students who did not know how to learn online, and that differs from say this old ten um, schools or you know kids from private schools, etc who were equipped um, with the equipment, they knew how to learn online. So when lockdown came, it was sort of easy for them and their teachers. But for those kids, so I work a lot a lot with schools that are low decile schools who aren't necessarily equipped, didn't have the technology or internet access, and therefore they struggled as a result. At the start of the pandemic, when some other, Iona Halstead was being asked about the distribution of laptops, and a, a journalist asked about was how equitable was that? She said that it, a the pandemic doesn't bring out inequities; it just reveals them. And and your space is about looking for those you know, equitable outcomes. How are you seeing the the pandemic in terms of that revealing or perhaps worsening or maybe making better? I don't know uh, those inequities. Yeah, you're right. So um, you know, COVID nineteen definitely showed us. Um, the haves and the have-nots. And having um, interviewed or spoken with um, high school students um, during the pandemic, so if I target a particular South Auckland school and interviewing 10 of those kids, predominantly Māori Pacifica, you know, um, they faced issues around um, food supply. And an interesting comment which one of the kids said to me was like, I wish there were more food in the Pātaka Kai. So the Pātaka Kai, those cupboards in the streets where volunteers put food in. So I thought, well, if that's sort of you know, um, the issue for your particular particular family, you know, we are dealing with such massive issues. Uh, and a principal of that particular school said that one family only had a mobile device, the whole learning device for the whole family again. So, we, you know, and so it clearly shows us there are pockets of deprivation across Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, and, and, and it is quite unfair and we do need to address that. So my job is to advocate for those kids to advocate for their families and those particular schools to ensure they get the resources that can um, you know, bring them in line with, with other kids in schools, etc. So although you're in the education space, the, the scope of your practice is necessarily really wide? Absolutely. So we are independent. So our job is to uh, champion issues around, around education uh, equity and equality as well. Um, is to ensure, for, so I have a specific, my specific focus is Māori, while there are other obvious um, areas within Comet. And so working with schools, um, working with uh, teacher education providers. So another issue that I'm working with is that um, is around why our Māori kids are not necessarily achieving at the same rates of, of other ethnicities. And so I look at our teacher practice. So the, the teachers and a lot of the teachers that are going to be in front of our kids haven't had necessarily a lot of experience with Māori students. So basically, I've targeted two tertiary providers 
to ensure that um, those student teachers or pre-service teachers um, are equipped to working and developing strong uh, relationships with Māori students, but also importantly, their families too. You're talking about issues there which need short-term resolution. You know, if the kids are hungry, they're hungry today, but they're also systemic problems. In your work, how do you find, is there a sweet spot of that long-term and, and, and short-term? Well, our job basically is to challenge the system. It's for systems change. We know that the system um, is 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 not a one-fit-one um, type of system. And so our, our job is to look at where, what are, what, are the, what are the specific issues that are facing um, our students? And again, my focus is on Māori students. I've, I, I've identified a bunch of issues that um, where I think that are, 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 are negatively impacting our Māori kids. So one issue, for example, is the streaming, is the academic streaming of kids. That is bad for our Māori and Pacific kids. And so that needs to stop. And you talked about the Secretary of Education, Alona, there, and I actually directly um, asked her, what is the Ministry of Education's position on streaming, knowing that it negatively impacts on our Māori kids? They're not, they're not a fan of streaming, but they haven't actually put out a blanket statement to say schools must stop streaming. And I think we've got an issue there. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Teeks, Remember Me. Why this one? Oh, it's beautiful. Um, I'm a big fan of Teeks. I, I, that song, if you listen to the lyrics of that song, um, it's about, I think, someone that's important. You know, we all have someone that, is important to us perhaps that person has passed away and i think it's just a really reminder of of remembering to you know carry their legacy and and the importance of that person with us wherever we go i wish i had the strength Tell you how I feel I wish I was brave Like the soldier on the battlefield See my heart it races Every time you're around And I try so hard to speak But I can't seem to make a sound I know that if I walk away I wonder what you would have said And But if you don't, it's okay I'll be right here waiting If you change your mind I don't care how long it takes I don't care about my pride If it's a thousand years 
schools and and what we need to um, to do to change the way that we're delivering education but how do we enable our kids in that space this is this is what I ponder I spent all my life pondering this how do we enable our kids with critical thinking with confidence to go in and navigate a formal education system that was especially for our Māori and Pacific kids was not designed with them in mind, um, the assessment, the delivery of the curriculum wasn't designed with them in mind. The the uh, the assessment was not designed with them in mind. No part of it was designed for our kids. So how do we enable them to be successful in the space? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Maura. Maura. And so, for example, if you look at Indigenous uh, children across the world and their different, uh, you know. Western-based countries, um, there are similar issues around the education system not necessarily fitting um, their particular needs. And I think that a lot of our um, our kids now, their parents and their grandparents, didn't necessarily have good schooling experiences themselves. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, education is not just um, just not evolves around one person. There has to be a whole wraparound whānau support with that. And that means that we need to ensure that we not education system not only supports our children, but actually their parents and what the parents can do to support our kids. Um, and so that, you know, I encourage things like um, books in homes, ensuring that every family has internet access, um, that the schools have pathways for families to be, you know, that families can easily work alongside schools. That means that schools need to be accessible for families to come in somehow and work with the kids because kids can only succeed when, the, uh, when I, I think when the whānau are actively involved in the education. Yep, I agree with that. And um, I know that here in the Eastern Bay of Plenty, it's not a widely known fact that the last of the native schools closed here in like 1969. It was, it, I think it was 1969, right at the end of the 1960s anyway. And there was a, that was a, a, a system of education that was designed to pump out um, workers in fields and, and women behind sewing machines. And it certainly was not um, designed to pump out academics and leaders in the community. And, um, and that was a horrific experience of education for so many people. And so that pain and suffering still exists in this community today and will for some time. We have got, you know, and the grandchildren of those last learners who went through that process are now in education. And the, and you're right. It's, if, unless we can find some way to engage the whānau and turn their memories of suffering into some sort of positive it's we it's really hard to get the kids to engage when they haven't got the support at home for this education system that has caused so much pain yeah i i look at my own personal story and so for example my dad left school when he was 12 years old and so he's always worked in factory-based jobs or worked you know as a truck driver on the roads and that's sort of been his life and so um, you know, um, for me, um, being able to get an education actually means normalizing that success. And I know the benefits of being a formal education because I reap the benefits of that. And so in my particular whānau, it's important that we actually normalize formal education. Uh, we normalize um, um, that success so that when we are, we do become adults, that we have options. Because I look at my father, who didn't necessarily have options, and I even look at my mother, for example, who, who got her first university degree at 37 years old. And so that's still young, that's still you know, a couple of years younger than, than myself. And now she's a deputy principal. So, you know, I look at those, you know, the, my mother's particular story on how, what education can do in terms of bringing families out of poverty, um, in, in terms of being a role model for what success can look like. And I really want other whānau Māori to be able to emulate that as well. Uh, like your mum, I was late in life. I, I just last year, just after my 50th birthday, handed in my doctorate thesis, but I didn't actually finish my undergraduate degree until I, I must have been 40. So it's just been a constant run. And it was because of the same thing as you. My dad was a, um, he was everything but not ever the success that he wanted to be, an intelligent, capable man, but never got those opportunities, and he drove us to want that for our lives. Oh, no, no, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a beautiful story, and and that's it's actually quite a common story, mm. and particularly with our with our Māori. So, um, 
you know, it's really important that our parents are actively involved in their kids' education because I think that once we have one or two generations of highly schooled, qualified Māori, man, we're going to be across the different forums, different um, job positions on different boards, etc. And I think that's that's that, that's needed for our nation. How do we get rid of that negativity that our kids are exposed to, though? Like, if you turn on the news, they're constantly told in in all media that they are the underachievers. Oh, look, Māori underachievement, Māori overrepresented in, in crime, Māori overrepresented in health. Like, it's all this negative stuff that uh, we are bombarding our young people with. And that is a huge hurdle that they have to climb to get to their future. How do we do that? Uh, I, I think probably the most probably basic or simple solution is to have um, is to really um, amplify Māori role models, and I think it's really important to show our Māori role models across, you know, different job positions, from um, maybe are board members, um, different, you know, in different fields of, uh, of of work, and it's really important that our Māori kids can see themselves, uh, so Māori kids can um, see themselves in, in high highly qualified positions because that's important and we need to really push that um you know i think of growing up myself and seeing really amazing you know people who inspired me may, may i not have met them but you know people like witty ihimaira you know reading his beautiful short stories patricia patricia grace bright grace with all those beautiful writers that can wow I'm, I'm reading this i'm reading these books in, in my in my english class and these are marty writers and I can see myself and my family in these stories. It's beautiful and so and it's positive. And so I think we need to continue on pushing, um, you know, Māori role models. I think you're exactly right. And I think of you um, sitting in your role uh, at the council table, being a decision maker for your community, that yeah. all young Māori in your community will look into that space and see themselves reflected back. And that's what will give them the willingness to engage in that democratic process and that makes me happy will i i hope so too and i really hope so because i um i was first elected um in 2013 i think maybe it was 26 um, years old or something like that and before i was elected there were um, no maori ever elected to that board so we're, we, our area is 120,000 people and, it, and and the board before us there was no one under 55 years old um, considering that our area is very young and very diverse, we didn't actually have people that reflected that diversity on the council table. So I was lucky to get elected and um, represent our young people, represent Māori Pacifica. Um, but also as as a, as a teacher at the time too, I also like to um, I actively use the views and opinions of my students to inform me of some of the decisions that we're about to make, and I really. Glad that I was able to do so. It's really gave me a great insight. That's so good. One of the things we've talked about quite a lot on this show, but also on Sustainable Lens, is that how do we get the the future generations around the council table? That's that's one way of of, of doing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think that um, you know you know for many many years now. Those who got elected to, um, to council were, you know, Pākehā and very wealthy Pākehā. They had the money and the resources because the council is not necessarily a full-time job, right? And it doesn't pay like a, most positions anyway, Don't doesn't pay like a full-time job. So those who are wealthy are able to 
um, you know, um, be at council meetings, etc. While those who um, have other jobs aren't able to take time off to be able to attend council meetings. So you have issues um, around that. Um, and with local council, um, you've got very low turnout of elections. So in our area, it's 30 percent. And those who, who vote are usually, you know, Pākehā, older and homeowners because people like people, Māori, a lot of Māori in West Auckland, they, they are renters, so they're moving quite often because, for example, if people want to sell their homes or if the rent gets too much, um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's postal voting, which is so archaic and, and, and old school, we need to change that system as well, but we do need more young people elected. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokurui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui kia koutou kotaho. I hope you're all having the stay beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you. More and more each day, who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect unique and here making things better as all life does and who we are co-evolving alongside in an infinite web. So I've woken up this morning to find out one of my dear friends has passed away due to a mountain biking accident and of course I'm grateful that we had all our times together. I'm grateful that he was adventuring and having a wonderful time when he was taken on to the next realm but definitely a reminder for me to be making the most and having my lovely cat recently pass away and move on to the next realm I feel that these beautiful spirits are still with us in another form these beautiful people are still are still with us but just in a different way now but yes, his tonguey is being live streamed from Bluff. And this is the wonder of the world that we live in. So I will be tuning in at 1pm today. And yes, how do we manage these moments of grief and loss that we're all experiencing right now in different ways? We are grieving for the life that we knew and, and took for granted. The life that we were so comfortable with. So much has changed. But <clears throat> I feel, as a species, we are so adaptable, we are so flexible, and we're always finding new ways to do BC feel. We're always finding new ways to connect and communicate. We're always finding new ways to make the best, to make the most of the situation we find ourselves in. That's who we are and what we do, which is wonderful. But of course, alongside all of this, we must remember to reach out and check in with one another, see how one another are doing. And if there are emotions there that want to talk and want to share, we must be open and receptive if we can to them. We must allow those we love to express the feelings that they have and we must be open and receptive to these feelings as much as possible listening and supporting without sometimes saying anything without judgment without anything except a sense of love and a sense of acceptance coming their way and in this way those who we love can feel safe to really talk about what's happening for them 
This has been happening for me a lot recently and I'm very honoured by it. I'm honoured by the trust that is placed in me for these conversations to take place. And I'm honoured to be in a nurturing role to provide support and love when it is needed. And in the same way, I'm sharing my own feelings, my own reality, as it shifts and changes as it is at the moment with each day. So I really hope for you, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, you have got these good avenues and these good channels of communication that you're able to call forth that in a nurturer within for yourself and for others. And the compassion and the love that we all possess can flow and really assist those we care for and for ourselves be so helpful in terms of moving forward in new ways. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kagite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Will Flavel. Will, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Oh, <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, when I saw the struggles here in West Auckland, what I loved the most is that people came together to support the most vulnerable in our community. So I think of our organizations like Waipareira, the Fono here in West Auckland, who where a lot of people weren't able to go to their jobs due to lockdown. And actually people came together. They, um, you know, they created food packs and they were able to, um, you know, get them out to those who needed them the most. And I was able to help in some of those deliveries. So for me, the ability to support those who don't have much or, or need that extra support, I think hopefully that sticks the most. And a call out here to my daughter, who is a national policy advisor for CCS Disability Action. She's running a rear guard action at the moment on people who are going down the line of most of the people that will get sick and die of COVID are people with underlying conditions. And the you know we need to remember that as a community, that the whole point of a community is to look after the most vulnerable. So how can we how can we bring that forward how can we bring that sense that we had of those lockdowns forward into the the now yeah so i think that um i'm not sure what it's like um, where you both live but here in west auckland we've got some very lively community facebook pages and um on those community pages you know there are people asking for help and then you're you'll get sort of 10 replies saying, yep, I can pick up some food for you or I can deliver it for you. And I think and I think that's a thing of beauty. And I hopefully that's what community is all about for me. And that's the community that I want to see across uh, Aotearoa as well. Um, and I hope that continues. And social media really sort of amplifies or propels um, some, of, some, of, some of the issues that sometimes we tend to forget. And it's really important to be reminded that not, not everyone is, is doing well. From somebody who is really active in the promotion and education around Te Reo Māori, do you think that the, the 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 core messages of the government during this pandemic have worked? You know, not necessarily in terms of a literal translation, but have they worked in terms of a, a translation in a, a wider sense? 
Um, well, I, I think um, this government, compared to any other government, I have seen more progress in Te Reo Māori than any other previous government. So I acknowledge them. I acknowledge people like Dr. Uh, Bloomfield, who uses uh, Te Reo Māori in some of his key messages, as well as the Prime Minister. Uh, we've had Ministers Pini Hinare and uh, Minister um, Kiri. Um, they have both utilised Te Reo Māori in some of the key messages when they do the stand-up positions as ministers. So I acknowledge them. I think that this current government has a goal of 1 million speakers by 2040. And I must say, as a former Te Reo Māori teacher and a second language learner of Te Reo Māori, we're not necessarily going to get there if we keep doing the same thing at the, right now. So the idea is to continually to improve um, the language, a language that can be seen, that can be heard, that can be read, that can be felt across uh, different parts of the community, it flourishes across the community. So that's taking the language outside of the classroom, it's taking the language outside of the marae and other traditional spaces, and it's using it in, a, in, a, in its most natural form, which it should be. Um, so in terms of te reo Māori with the pandemic, you know what, I've seen te reo Māori be, um, being used, and it's only important that we continue with that. Well, do you think that there are lessons that we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the bigger sorts of challenges that we we face as a society, as perhaps as a global society, and I'm thinking of things like climate change and, and social injustice in the in the large, but also in the small. Are there lessons that we can take? Yeah, that's a really good question. You you you, you know you've touched on climate change, and um, how do we? How do we um, have dinner table conversations about climate change? Because I have to be honest with you, a lot of the families here in West Auckland aren't necessarily having um, conversations about climate change. They're having issues about when, what, you know, when's the next, um, how much are they going to pay for their food and their rent and those everyday, everyday um, issues. Although climate change is such an important issue, and um, so I think for many families, um, just. Focusing on the everyday issues is important to them, and hopefully, once that is sorted, they're able to you know, think about issues um, like climate change. And I think because we have a large Pacifica community, around 22% here in West Auckland, and we and we see islands like uh, Tuvalu and Kiribati, and we've got big communities of, of them here, and the islands are about to go underneath water, so it's more prevalent for those particular communities and other communities. So I guess we've got to be aware that issues um, impact um, people differently based on who they are. That goal of a million Maori, speakers of Maori, speakers of Tereo Maori, how likely is it we're going to get there? You know, how are we tracking, I suppose? Yeah, so I wrote my PhD thesis on um, non-Maori high school students learning to do Maori. And I wrote that because I strongly believe that we need non-Māori to get on board. And if we don't have non-Māori on board, we're not going to reach that one million speakers. And so I highlighted in my research so many non-Māori kids on why they were learning Māori. So, for example, um, some reasons included it. If, if you have parents or family um, that are favourable to Māori or have positive attitudes towards things Māori, that usually trickles onto their kids. And so the kids are learning to do Māori because they have whānau support. Um, you know, uh, people talk about um, to 
to making Te Reo Māori compulsory. I saw a press release a week ago by um, the um, Race Relations Commissioner Ming Foon, you know, a, a Te Reo Māori speaker himself from Gisborne, who talked about making Te Reo Māori compulsory. And we've always, so that, that, that conversation seems to be an annual conversation that we have about making Te Reo Māori compulsory. So I'm with the view, and this is Comet's view, that um, Te Reo Māori should be a, a core subject to year 10. Uh, we deem it to be very important, and education um, in schools play, uh, plays a strong role in terms of getting to that one million speakers. Is, is it connected to the, the, the teaching of, the, of history? Um, I, I think that the, the government did a pretty good job with this because um, they didn't want to necessarily go to compulsory te reo Māori, but they thought that if they were able to um, you know, start with um, New Zealand history, and I commend them for that. Hopefully, you'll you, you'll do some. There'll be some good learnings within that, and from there you can naturally weave in Te Reo Māori after that. And I think that was a really good um, way of doing it from this government. They, Mawera and I are both fifty-ish. Young, the, young, young. But, but for our generation it wasn't a thing but for, for, for our kids coming through school it is a thing is it is, is it is it is it going to work in terms of that that wedge of people coming through yep so um, I think that what I've noticed is young kids they have regardless of the ethnicity have positive learning experiences of te reo Māori it's not until they get it from their family their parents or the community they have negative experiences or, or negative perceptions and they push it on to the younger people. So I think that so I think there are issues around that. Um, I I think it's I think when you know when we look at all the different social media use of Te Reo Māori, TikTok, for example, some really good Te Reo Māori um, videos there. Um, Māori Waiata are, are becoming more mainstream, so I just absolutely love that as well. And so that, that means that non-Māori are, are being exposed to this beauty of Te Reo Māori because it is a beautiful language. And, and I, you know, I know a lot of um, non-Māori speakers of, of, of Te Reo Māori and, um, yeah, it's, it's great to call it all with them. Let's take something that's not Te Reo Māori. Let's have Natalie Mbrulier. Nothing missing. Yeah. Why this one? Um, been a fan since her song Torn in 1997. This is your latest release. Uh, I listened to it, um, just listened to it for the first time yesterday, and I thought, oh, I love this song, so I thought I'd, I'll put it into this uh, corridor. Tell yourself a story. There's a mountain to climb. Did you ever stop to consider things were always fine? Keep to learn and some you need to forget And if it's not alright, you know it's not over yet And I feel all eyes on me But can you deal with all the pieces of me that you never see? There's nothing missing here, no There's nothing missing here So don't come looking for it Broken. You're looking for someone in fear But don't come looking 
take a lifetime just to understand And anybody can be anything, but make no mistake If you tell yourself you're broken, then you just might break And I feel all I Find it anymore You're looking for something broken You're looking for someone in fear But don't come looking here Cause you won't find it anymore Fear Fear Gotta let that go Just let it flow And I tell myself I know So, Will, if you were to wave a magic wand to work on outcome, equitable outcomes for all, what would you have happen? Um, I would, I would um, keep the Ministry of Education uh, to ask principals and teachers, students in their final, what resources does the school need and to give them those resources. As simple as that. That sounds like a doable task. Well, you know, I, I think about all the the eye rolls and the struggles. You know, I've got you know, uh, you know, my family are in senior management in different schools, and I and I speak with with them, and they talk about the, you know, the, the difficulties of um, of working alongside the ministry at times because they're not listening or perhaps they're not understanding the specific school needs. It could be they don't have enough resources, etc. Um, but that would that's what I would do with the magic wand. Yeah. One of the things that the pandemic has shown us is that magic wands are possible. We can do stuff as a community if we choose to. Oh really? Oh. Well, we shut we 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 shut down the country in a day. We've we've done a even even a little even little things like do we actually have to go to work? Turns out we don't. We can do most of it from home. So, yeah, so maybe I, we can I, I, use this. Yeah, it's an interesting comment that you make. And I think that the whole idea of hybrid learning or, or even working in a, in a hybrid sense, say, for example, from home in the office, um, maybe something that we keep from this pandemic. You know, we talk about, for example, you know, um, living in Auckland, um, you know, you may have to travel 50 minutes on the other side of Auckland to go to a meeting, right? Uh, for an hour meeting. So I think that's changed in terms of saving time. You know, for those particular meetings, you can work, you know, you can have those meetings online now. And so perhaps that could be a benefit 
that may have come from this 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 um, COVID. But I but I do stress the importance of real time connection as well. That you can't really necessarily replace that. So there are there are times when actually it's really important that we meet face to face. But I guess a lot of people are questioning. You know, I can actually do all my work from home. I have some questions to end the show with. Yep. Well, what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, that's a that's a big immediate question. What's the you know what? Um, uh, being a secondary school teacher for for eleven years uh, for me was the most uh, amazing opportunity, life opportunity I've ever had. I taught hundreds and hundreds of rangatahi, and I think what makes this my relation, what makes this um, a really important moment, is that not only after finishing secondary school that I, I continue to have strong relationships with them as friends, but also their whanau. And so, you know, being able to teach te reo Māori, being able to sort of really push te reo Māori and to make that a normal part of my life and their life as well, um, really has made me um, glad that I accidentally came into the teaching profession, but it was a decision that I, I do not regret. And I love my time as a secondary school teacher. How is it accidental? Isn't it a, a vocation? Yeah. Well, uh, it's a bit of a story. So um, I went to, you know, I was learning about um, New Zealand history, um, Te Tiri Te Waitangi, my youth learning history class for the first time. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, is this what really happened to my ancestors? Is this what really happened to my people? So after that, I, want, I went to Waikato University and I enrolled into law school. Because I thought, okay, if I run on to law school, maybe I would maybe I would work on, work on future treaty claims. But halfway through the first year of, of university, um, I accidentally read on the front page of a New Zealand Herald article that over 50% of Māori boys were leaving school without any qualifications. And, and, and where I come from, Whangarei, it was 80% of Māori boys. Now, we know that if you don't, acquire the most basic of school qualifications, so NCA level one, you're going to have a crap adult life, you know, you're going to have higher incarceration rates, poorer health outcomes, um, low opportunities and employment, etc. So the next day, I went back into my office and said, I want to change from this law degree to a, to a Bachelor of Teaching degree. And that again, was an amazing, um, it was an accident, but actually it was a very purposeful accident. I'm glad I made that change. Um I think we all are. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? What got you into the mansion? What's my superpower? I, I can speak four languages. Um, and I think being um, a polyglot or multilingual, so, you know, I majored in Japanese. I speak Te Reo Māori. I speak Ngana Samoan, which is the Samoan language, and obviously English. And I speak those languages because I'm really nosy about other cultures and other cultures. And I feel that if I learn a language of that culture, I'm able to sort of get in and learn a bit more about, about other people. And um, other people fascinate me. Cultures fascinate me. People who do things in a different way than I do fascinate me. So I thought languages is the way to get in. And so I guess, you know, being, being multilingual and a polyglot is, is my superpower. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, that, 
that's a that's a tough question. I, I'm a practitioner. I'm a practitioner. So I'm both a researcher and I use my research for the good at the grassroots level. So I know. So I, I never consider myself an academic because um, I feel that the word academic is always tied in with someone sitting in a high loft, lofty, lofty ivory tower, um, you know, and not close to the community. But for me, I love doing the research and I use that research to ensure that communities benefit from that. So it's not something that I just you know, it's not just for myself, but I must use that for the good of people. So I, I'm a practitioner. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, I, I've been lucky that I have gotten to choose the job that I want to work in. And I have to say around 80% of people wake up not necessarily choosing that that's the job that they want to go to. And so I'm very lucky in that respect. And what wakes me up in the morning is about making a difference um, for the lives of our young people, particularly our, our rangatahi Māori, um, to ensure that um, they have equitable outcomes and, and future opportunities that they can, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, they can be whatever they want to be. But in order to be what you want to be, you've got to have the support networks and, and uh, education to go with that. And that's where I come in. So what is the biggest challenge or perhaps opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, so this will be formally released on Monday, but I've just won the Fulbright Scholarship Award to Boston. Um, so I'll be heading to the University of Massachusetts, Boston uh, for four months. And I'll be working on a research project on how language, culture and identity feature and the schooling experiences of Native American youth. And so I'll be comparing those experiences with Rangatahi Māori. And so I'm really honoured to be able to get the Fulbright um, Scholarship Award. And it'll be, uh, it'll be an amazing experience working alongside Indigenous communities you know, across, from around the world. That sounds awesome. When do you go? Um, I've, I've decided to go in December. Um, the winter time in Boston, there it's, it's freezing there at the moment. The reason why I'm going there is because um, it just makes it easier in terms of you know taking leave um, from my workplace here. You know, December, January, February, and March, and a bit of April. And I reckon it's always fun going to something that's very different in terms of even if it's just in terms of the weather. Oh, I've never had a white Christmas before, and I I intend to go to New York City down the road for Christmas and New Year's. Awesome. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I, I you know, I, you know, I, I think my advice would be like, we can only change things when something makes us feel uncomfortable, and you know, you have to be uncomfortable in order to to make changes. And so, you know, I've seen that in my workplace, in my different workplaces that. Actually, um, it's okay to feel to be made feel uncomfortable because that means you're challenging your your own views and opinions, and you're actually understanding how others think. And it's also okay to unlearn things as well. So you know, I, I talk to a lot of teachers who've been teaching the same way they have for the last twenty years is because what they know it may not necessarily be right, but again, it's okay to unlearn some of those things um, to make it better, not just for yourself but for your particular learners. So. Just a couple of I've done things. Thank you for that. Mawera. 
Well, uh, there has never been a more important time for people like you to be in our communities to inspire other young people who want to grow up to be like you. And um, if I was a kid, I'd love to have you as a role model. I imagine what my life would have been like had I had a role model like you. I'm really thankful to you for the work that you do, for the commitment that you've made to education and for the commitment that you've made to improving outcomes for our people, for the Pacific people, for the wider community. Keep up the good work and um, and thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is 660. I'm Samuel Lennon, so Eden with Moira Karatai in Fakatani and we've been joined from West Auckland by Will Flavel. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.